0: Looking at the calendar, spring training upon us. The calendar is uh, moved into the month of March, which means spring cleanup, getting the lawn, getting the trees, getting the bushes all trimmed out and looking perfect. When... Uh, Sunny skies and warm temperatures arrive full time, which means you've got to go to Steel, STIHL, Steeldealers.com, more than 10,000 around the country. So there's one in your neighborhood. And Steel USA again, STIHL, SteelUSA.com. You can look at all of their marvelous products battery operated so many of them that's uh, my preference and they have all kinds of deals going they always do but uh, right now on trimmers and mowers in fact um Battery powered mowers. There's a great deal going right now for all of those products and so many more. You just got to go to the website and uh, and start shopping, and then you can pick up whatever you need at one of your steel dealers that, uh, like I like to say, that is right around the corner. They are simply the best, and they will cover your yard and your garage and your front area and your back area. So many different products to get the job done right. Steel, S T I H L. They've been with us since day one here on our podcast. And we appreciate them greatly. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, former CU Buffs head coach Gary
1: Barnett on Shadur Sanders. He's a terrific athlete. He's a big kid. He hangs in there. He's got a really good arm. He's got good touch. He's without a question top five guy next year, I think. Coach Prime. Oh, he's an outlier. There's only one Deion Sanders. And the NIL era in college football. It's the Wild West? Is it sustainable? I don't think it is at this level, and I don't think it will be down the road.
0: Plus, Drew's filling you in on Rock spring training and hey kids can we stop storming the court throw their ass out this is the Drew Goodman podcast Welcome in everybody hope you're doing well It's kind of that uh, funky time of year for all of you sports enthusiasts where you're saying okay football's over. Maybe you're a little depressed by that. Maybe you're depressed that your team didn't do well, whether it uh, was in the NFL or college football. But either way, we all miss football, right? We all miss football. But I often have gotten this from people in November. I'll be Wandering through a King Supers or somewhere and and uh, I I get it several times during the offseason. I say, boy, you know, big hardcore baseball fans. I love those folks, but they'll say, man, aren't you, you know, going through withdrawal symptoms? Baseball's over. Don't you just miss it? And I honestly answer it this way. And this is what applies to football. It applies to all the sports. You can't play them 12 months a year. And the heart grows fonder for football when you haven't seen it in six, seven months and the college football begins in the latter part of August and the NFL, you know, a couple of weeks later into September and and you're raring to go. I mean, if it was played 12 months a year, you wouldn't feel the same way. And that's how I feel for baseball right now. My juices are flowing. I I was just down in, in Scottsdale last week. In fact, tomorrow I'll be back down there. I go back and forth. Can't wait to be there can't wait to you know hear the crack of the bat talk to guys everybody's energized everybody has enthusiasm and optimism it's a wonderful time of year but you need that break, whether it's football or, or hoops or hockey or, or baseball, as uh, we're talking about. But it is kind of the dog days in sports. Football's over. You know the the NBA and the NHL playoffs are still you know the better part of two months away, at least six seven weeks away the major league season now people are are abuzz because of spring training but it's early in spring training and and the season does not get going for another uh month um so you know people are like searching for stories right well we there we've got a couple let me talk baseball first since that's um what this podcast does the majority of the time and certainly this time of year so last week what did i notice um, you know, just to talk to some guys. Michael Tolia, I'll start there. Michael Tolia is off to a nice start. And this is an important, not just spring training for him, it's an important season for him and other young players who have more or less accomplished everything they can accomplish at the minor league level. And I think Tolia, by and large, checks off that box. He's hit for power at the minor league level. He has demonstrated an outstanding glove at first base throughout his professional career, going back to his days in Westwood at UCLA. At the big league level, he is not hit with any kind of consistency. We've seen the long ball from the left side a little bit. um, Not much in terms of batting average, not much in terms of on-base percentage, high strikeout rate, and the right side, because he's a switch hitter, has not been good at the big league level. Now, in the early days of spring training, good for Michael Tolley. I re- I really like him personally. Good kid, big, strong kid out of the Seattle area. Um, and he's off to a great start. He's hit a couple of homers. Um, he uh, had a big hit right-handed uh, the other day. Obviously, he needs to continue to do that. The Rockies are going to have... Uh, some tough decisions to make with the initial 26-man roster that, that Buddy Black and Billy Schmidt decide upon. And those are good problems to have because they have a lot of young players that are pushing. And a lot of young players that you and I both, fingers crossed, hope will be impactful big leaguers to turn the record around and get the Rockies back in contention. So, for instance, when I look... At the Rockies roster right now, and there's a month away, and you hope, knock on wood, nobody gets hurt. You know, Hunter Goodman, he's accomplished everything he can accomplish at the minor league level. Um, He was tired late last year, but he definitely showed he's got an impact bat. He can play first, he can play, you know, corner outfield spot, and he's your third catcher. He can be a third catcher. So, you know, his name's in there. The other guy that I wanted to talk about, and this is all preliminary, is Eliris Montero, another guy who's gotten off to a terrific start this year. But different from Goodman, different from Tolia, he has no options left talking about Montero, meaning, for those that may not be fully aware, the Rockies can't just merely say, well, well, we're going to send him down to AAA Albuquerque. They can't. He's out of... Options to be sent to the minor leagues, which means if he's not on the roster, the Rockies would have to trade him or expose him to waivers. He's not going to clear waivers he's still very young, he's still looked upon as a guy that you know has a a strong upside from a power bat standpoint, not really a third baseman. I think the Rockies realize that. Um, he can play first. I thought he did an adequate job at first base last year. He worked his tail off at it. I think he keeps getting better. And he and he can be a DH, clearly. He's gotten off to a good start. I'm a Montero fan. I thought the last month of the season, he was one of their three or four best hitters. I think he took a, a nice step forward. I'm always leery of looking at a you know a 10-day period and say, oh man, this guy has emerged because a guy gets hot for 10 days. I mean, his... Body of work was more over 30 days. And granted, I mean, it's, it's still only a month. But I'm intrigued by Montero. I w- hope the Rockies don't give up on Montero. And I know these are tough decisions because you have a guy like Michael Tolia, who was originally a, a first-round pick. So there's money invested in him. But in terms of what they've demonstrated so far at the big league level, You know, Montero has done more and he's had more opportunity, but he's done more than Tolia right now. Tolia has options. I don't know if it'll come down necessarily to those two guys. You know, again, we mentioned Hunter Goodman in the mix um, as well. The Rockies pitching staff, again, early in spring training, they're striking guys out at a high rate. In fact, the Rockies pitching staff, as we tape on this Wednesday, lead all of Major League Baseball, Cactus and Grapefruit League. In strikeouts by their pitchers, which is even, you know, a handful of days into spring training is surprising because the Rockies have not struck out a lot of guys with their pitching staff. Um, They've been uh, a heavy contact pitching staff especially in their rotation over the last several years. So if that trend, and I don't expect them to hold that top spot, even through spring training, but if if that trend continues into the regular season where the Rockies are missing more bats, that is a good thing. And one of the names that, again, I want to talk about briefly is Jaden Hill. Jaden Hill, for you hardcore Rockies fans, was drafted at a LSU, um, big, strong, hard-throwing right-hander who dealt with a number of injuries in his days at Baton Rouge, but was thought at one point to potentially, had he been healthy. To be a, a a high first round pick. When I say high, I'm talking about, you know, one through six, one through eight, because he physically looked the part fastball in the upper 90s could touch a hundred wipeout slider. But again. The injury history, not great. The Rockies kept him as a starter initially. Didn't have a great year, to be honest with you, when healthy last year. But he went to the Arizona Fall League. Top prospects go there. It it happens after the season. And he performed exceptionally well now in a bullpen role. And I think the Rockies envision that he can be a late-inning guy, perhaps down the road even a closer. And the early returns in spring training, and again, I I keep emphasizing this, early returns returns. Very good. Striking some guys out, couple clean innings. So knock on wood that, that Jaden Hill, no longer a starter, at least right now as a reliever, could move very quickly and perhaps even be in the big leagues um, this year. One other footnote about the month of March. I love March. I've said this many times. It's uh, in many respects my favorite time of year. I mean, I love the season, but, but everybody's kind of relaxed in March, except for the guys biting and fighting and scratching to make a team, right? But uh, there, there's optimism. The weather's great. And Scottsdale's such a great place to be. So I love, love, love the month of March. However, the month of March can fool you can deceive you and i'm referencing the fact that every year we see somebody offensively or on the pitching side put up glowing numbers and we think oh my goodness what a spring training for so and so and it doesn't necessarily have larger meaning obviously if you're battling to make a team and you're a young player you want to and need to have a strong showing in spring training but it doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen in the month of april and may because we don't always know you know who all the hits are coming off of is it a double a or triple a guy that you know you got You know, a couple home runs against in a spring training game because we know that after the first four or five innings, especially early in March, the starters don't play. And it's number 88 and 86 and 79 and 94 coming into the game. And as a broadcaster, you're like, all right, help me out. Who's this guy? Where did this guy come from? And uh, so you, you have to pump the brakes sometimes. But yes. If you're involved, if you're a player, you want to play really well at all times, and if you're fighting to make a team, you certainly need to make a splash in the month of March. But I always say, hey, don't overstate what happens in March. So there you go. That's my uh, my first take on on what uh, is going down in spring training. I'll have more. We'll have interviews. We'll have uh, we'll have far more material from uh, Scottsdale as the uh, weeks lead into the first game of the year for the Rockies, which will be in Arizona. They stay put. They open with a four game set. Um, in downtown phoenix at chase field against uh, the nationally champion diamondbacks on to i guess the topic of the week sports wise and that is court storming you know we saw in in the aftermath of the duke upset fans stormed the court and you know a duke player what is it philip philip or philip i'm Butchering his name, and I apologize, but um, he was fortunately not hurt seriously. Um, got his knee, uh, I think, bruised and, and kind of hobbled off the court in the mass of humanity that stormed the court. So, where am I on court storming? I've thought a lot about this because, on one hand, you say you know, especially in the college environment, it's cool. The the students are you know really into it, and and they're celebrating with. Um, their players, right? But when you take a step back, Caitlin Clark got hit uh, a couple of weeks ago. She fortunately was okay. This Duke player um, seems like he's going to be just fine. But you have to go, all right, what if something serious happens? And, And it's both ways. What if a player trying to leave the court who just lost, emotionally charged, some fan who's inebriated gets in their face and you know there's a physical altercation there could be ugliness and and so i again in thinking deeply about this i felt this way before when incidents happen like somebody runs on the field in the baseball football game that sort of thing and they get arrested as they should you have no business on the court on the field, on the ice, that would be interesting, right? You don't have any business there. If you're not a player, a coach, or an official, or I guess a member of security, you have no business. Even the media, there's a 10-minute cooling-off period in every sport before you have access to a locker room before they bring a player or players or coaches out to meet the media in a media scrum in a room and designated spot. There's a cooling off period. The only people who belong on the court, let me reiterate, are players, coaches, officials. So how do you keep this from happening? I saw some things, you know, they, they find the school. Some nineteen, twenty-year-old student could give a shit about that. He didn't care that the his school just got fined seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Big deal. You care less about that. And if you're talking about just you know security, you know the yellow jacket folks, they could get overrun. You probably need if somebody goes on the court to cite them, and, and that you know I I, I hate to. Put it that way, where the the police have to become involved. But we're just one mishap, one overzealous fan, one situation where somebody gets trampled, somebody seriously gets hurt. We can't have that. Can't have that. I know visually on television looks pretty cool. Wow. You know, they're all fired up at Wake Forest. Great. And and you want to see enthusiasm. That's one of the reasons I love college athletics. But I'm sorry, you, you don't have business on the field. You don't have business um, on the court. I think way back to 1969, growing up, I was you know, seven years old when the Mets won the World Series, the Miracle Mets, and, and the fans ran on the field. And it wasn't a big to-do. There were some fans who went out there, and they, they were like ripping up grass. I mean, the field got ransacked because they wanted mementos. And it was kind of let go. I remember when Henry Aaron hit his historic 715th home run against Al Downing remember those two fans and they were interviewed many years later and, and they came they they came up on Henry Aaron as he's rounding the bases and they're patting him on the back and fortunately i mean they they just wanted to you know i guess celebrate with him that could never happen now i mean fear for for crazy people doing something like that right So we can't have that. You just can't have that. And and that is the bottom line. It also takes me to another subject that I want to pontificate on for a moment. All right, let me talk about fan conduct at games for a moment, because this subject kind of gets me going. And I will preface this with some may think it's easy for me to have the following opinion because I have spent a large amount of my adult life in a booth or a press box or in high-quality, high-dollar seating when I am at a game, and that is fair. However, I have been to enough games and on a couple of occasions with my kids when they were young, where there were near altercations because of fan conduct. And I think all of you certainly who listen to this podcast. You go to games, right? You can think back to bad behavior and it drives me nuts. And the reason I'm thinking about this is not just because of the the court storming. It had more to do with that thing that played out on social media, Kevin Durant's jogging on the floor for warmups. And there were there, a couple of fans in Dallas. Looked like they were a couple. Um, they, they called him a bitch. And so he stopped, got out of line and went over there to them and confronted them. And then they want to shake his hand and, and, you know, probably want an autograph, why? Where? Where is that acceptable? And what I would tell you is a couple of things. One, throw their ass out. Throw their ass out. And again, I know some of you may go, well, they make 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year. They should be able to, to handle certain things. And you're right to a point because there's a place where you cross the line. And I will tell you that for me, it's not just about the athlete that you are throwing foul language at or worse, you offend me and you infringe on my enjoyment of the game, of the sport, of the experience, because I don't want to hear somebody near me go yelling, Yo, Kevin Durant, you're a bitch. You wouldn't say that to him on the street, as the old saying goes. And I don't want to hear it. I especially don't want to hear it if I'm with children. Uh, It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Throw their ass out. So again, yeah, you know, athletes have to deal with booing and and that sort of thing. But there is a line. And when when you're saying some of the vulgar stuff that people say, Not only shouldn't the athlete have to deal with it, the people in the arena, in the surrounding area, should not have to deal with it. It makes people uncomfortable, and again, it infringes on the enjoyment of watching the game. I just want to make mention to that. All right. On to Gary Barnett. Um, I, I've been endeavoring to get Gary on uh, for a while. I, I have this like kind of list I put together and add names to periodically. And, uh, you know, Gary's done a, a very good job for a number of years as the radio analyst on Buffs games with Mark Johnson. And he, of course coached Colorado, a couple of different stints. He was on Bill McCartney's staff originally. He had been a head coach at Fort Lewis. he had coached in the high school ranks here. Um, He had gone to the University of Missouri. Uh, We'll talk about some of those things in our conversation. And then he got, going back after his stint with McCartney, he got the Northwestern head coaching job. And for those that, may not recall in 1996 he won the big 10 title with northwestern this northwestern this one of the prestigious academic institutions in the world not renowned for their football in fact when they won the big 10 title in 1996 and went to the rose bowl that was the first time in 60 years that they had won the big 10 title You had to go back to 1936, do the math for you. The next year, they want to share the Big Ten title. So he's in there, as he should be, he's in their Athletic Hall of Fame. And he came back to Colorado after Rick Neuheisel left. He loved Colorado and knew that it's probably easier to to win at a big-time level at Colorado than at Northwestern. And he had success with Colorado. Again, if you have forgotten, in 2001, Colorado rose to number two in the nation. They had that huge blowout win over Nebraska, and Nebraska was number one, 62 36. And in a different era, they probably should have played in the national championship game. Kind of got snubbed. All Buff fans will remember that. 2004, he was the uh, Big 12 coach of the year. There was controversy toward the end, as you know, and this has been rehashed many times, and it certainly was a major story twenty years ago. Uh, the situation with what he said about Katie Nida, that she was, you know, she was a kicker on the team, and then he said she was a terrible kicker when he was when he was pressed. And he is on record on multiple occasions as having said that, you know, he wished he had handled that situation differently. And there's a lot of things, I think, in everyone's life that, you know, if you could push delete or, uh, you know, go back, you would handle certain things differently. But I wanted to uh, get Gary on to talk about, you know, some some of the things that, you know, he's been through as a coach and take it up to where we are today as a major college head coach and how things are done today with the portal with recruiting and specifically to the university of colorado and this phenomenon known as coach Prime. so i think you're going to uh, enjoy this conversation find it interesting and informative gary barnett former buffs head coach former northwestern wildcat head coach and currently the radio analyst on koa radio and the buffs network coach first of all it's uh, it, it's good to catch up it was uh it was great to see you recently unfortunately it was at uh funeral of, of a friend of both of ours somebody that i know you had immense respect for larry zimmer who, who passed at uh, at 88 but what a what a remarkable broadcasting career and what a remarkable person
1: no question drew you know and larry and i really started although i wasn't as familiar with him at the time but uh, when I was playing at Missouri, my last two years, he was broadcasting the games. And he ended up, you know, he graduated from Missouri and got a degree from there. So he's he's a few years older than I am, but he was doing our games at that time. And then when I got to uh, Colorado and started coaching either high school or even in college, where Larry was doing the Bronco games and doing the, the CU games. And then when I was the head coach for the first six years, uh, five years, Larry was also doing those games, so uh, we got to know he and Bridget very well, and and had a great relationship. And uh, you know, you could tell by the number of people who were there just how much he meant to the entire Colorado community.
0: Yeah, he he was he was tremendous. And as a, you know, a, a young broadcaster, he was always uh, you know so generous with his time. And and I was at KOA for a period when Larry was was a sports director and. Always enjoyed my time, not only with Larry, but with Bridget, because you, you won't meet, as you know, a warmer person than, than Bridget Zimmer. So um, sad sad occasion, but it was a celebration of life. You know what a lot of people probably don't realize about you, Gary? Be- that that you are not a native Coloradan, because I think way back to when, you know, I, I, I didn't know you then when you were at Air Academy, I'd heard about you a little bit when you were at Fort Lewis, and then, of course, you know, going to work for Coach Mack. Um, I think most people assume, oh yeah, he was born, and raised in, in Colorado.
1: Yeah, no, you know, it was funny. Uh, I grew up in a, in a through ninth grade in a little town in Missouri, Mexico, Missouri, and then I moved to St. Louis um, my um, freshman year in high school. And uh, there there uh, moved there about the same time that uh, uh, that my wife moved there, and we were high school sweethearts and. You know, I uh, I used to usher at the University of Missouri games when I was a Boy Scout. When I'd go over from Mexico, so I was a I was a Missouri guy all the way, and and so when I was blessed to have a chance to go to school there and play football and and uh, do all that, uh, I was going to go to law school and I was going to be an FBI agent, and um, I was in. Um, I was just finished and Mary needed a year to finish up and so I had, I waited a year and work and during that year I said, you know what, I can't live without football. I'm going to go get my, the happiest guy I know was my high school football coach. He was a counselor and a football coach and I said, I'm going to go do what Jack Wells did. So I went back, got my master's in guidance and counseling, uh, moved out to Colorado Springs to Air Academy High School in 1971 and started coaching and Pretty much been in Colorado all but the seven years that I was at Northwestern.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So is that where you originally got to know Bill McCartney? Was it the Missouri Ties or was it after that?
1: It was after that. I was president of the Colorado High School Coaches Association, and I was leaving and uh, going to Fort Lewis. And we have a summer clinic, but it was my 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 last duty was to host a clinic there and a luncheon. Mac was just coming in. And so uh, we got a hold of Mac and asked him if he'd talk at the Colorado high school coaches luncheon. And he said he would. So he and I sat next to each other. We had, uh, we, we had all the same friends, um, you know, guys that played with him actually coached me. And so we had so many, so many people that we knew. And that was my first contact really with Bill. And then two years later um, I had a chance to go to, Colorado and just be the running back coach
0: in '84. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting how the how the the coaching ladder is climbed. The, the Super Bowls a few weeks ago. Um, as we tape this, Patrick Mahomes is just a phenomenal talent and competitor, and and you know you run out of superlatives to describe um, how great he's been. He's still only 28, but from a coaching standpoint, Gary, when you look at him. I look at the evolution of quarterbacks in the NFL from even 15 or 20 years ago where it used to be thought you can only win the game, you know, at the highest level from the pocket and now we've adopted a lot of these guys that were more the college type quarterback when you when you were in your heyday coaching and, you know, in, in Evanston and obviously in Boulder where we had the move quarterback. Well, now that's what we see in the NFL. Is that how you look at it? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Patrick
1: Mahomes is, I'll I'll tell you what, if you're coaching quarterbacks today in high school or even junior high, Patrick drives you crazy because of all the throws he makes. And all the kids want to emulate him. I've got a grandson that is 11 years old and he's quarterback, and I can't get him to stay in the pocket, move his feet, and step into the throw. He's got to throw it sideways, change his arm angle, you know. Do all these things. So it makes it really hard for you to develop a, you know, a technique perfect quarterback. But he's, to me, that guy, he does what he has to do to make whatever play he's in the middle of successful, make it work. And, um, he's just got that ability. And there's very few like that. He changes arm angles. He gets out of rushes. He, he runs when, uh, you know, when he has to. He turns bad plays into good plays. And, and he'll he'll take the sack when he has to take the sack. He very rarely throws a really stupid ball. He did the one in the game. But um, he he's one of those guys that if he's on your team, you're probably going to win. And I don't care probably what position he's playing, but fortunately he's a quarterback for Kansas City and gets to have his hands on the ball every snap. And that's what you want. And he, I mean, if you can find those guys, the problem is if you have one, you gotta have two because if you're losing who who's coming in and right. uh, that's what makes the kind of quarterbacks like patrick and and uh all those guys that run around like that make them you know they they're really valuable, but it's also scary because if if you lose him, then your whole office shuts down because you don't have another one like you.
0: Yeah, I look at some of these guys like Josh Allen, who played up the road in, in Laramie, and and I believe uh, he, I had him a few times in college, and and I think he had maybe one other offer to play quarterback. Most most schools wanted him to be a tight end, and and that's also how how the game's evolved because this guy's a freakish athlete. He just happens to be two hundred and forty five pounds. Yeah,
1: and and he's he's a very unique uh, different situation, and he did. I don't think he did have another a Division One offer, uh, and he wrote letters to everybody. But, you know, give credit to Wyoming for, for taking him and, and uh, for him developing as a quarterback. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of really good players out there. And, you know, it, it takes something inside uh, to make you great. And I think uh, no question Josh Allen has that.
0: Yeah. When you look in and break down Shador Sanders, who you saw play every snap this year what was your initial reaction and now as you reflect back on, on what you watched um, g- give me a, a snapshot from a, a coaching perspective on um, what you see with Shadour.
1: I sort of see exactly what he described the other day and that in, in the offense he was under this year there were a lot of option reads and I I saw him waiting, to figure out which option read or which option the receiver was going to take. And so at the time, you know, I know a lot of people are seeing him hold the ball long and I don't think it was so much. I think it was just his newness in that offense. And I think he's, he's, he wants to make a play I and mean, he made a ton of plays. Right? I, you know, I think he's really good. I think his arm is really good. I think he sees the field really well. Um, I think he's a, a, a terrific quarterback. He got the snot beat out of him all year, and it it showed at the end of the year. But, uh, you know, I think under Shermer, they're, they're going to change it to where it's a little more um, prescribed, a little more diagrammed, less options, and I think that might make him a better quarterback. He said something to that effect the other day, and I, I sort of – Sort of really do agree with that, but he's a terrific athlete. He's a big kid. He hangs in there. He's got a really good arm. He's got good touch. He's he's, a, he's without a question, you know, a top five guy next year, I think.
0: Yeah, he's he's also, and, and you know this better than anyone to be true. Um, I always say this, Gary: open in college and open in the NFL are two different things. And he is accurate, and and I think we always talk about arm talent when we're evaluating quarterbacks as they're doing at the combine, right? But you have to be superbly accurate. And I saw an accurate kid last year.
1: He is accurate. And, um, you know, I, I think just being a little bit hesitant, uh, made him look like he was holding the ball too long, but he's, he, uh, the, I think the next step he has to take, and I think he will take it is to learn to throw guys open and, uh, for maybe listeners that don't quite understand that he's throwing it to a spot that the receiver will go to to be open rather than waiting for him to come open. And so it takes a lot of anticipation to do that and I think he's got that that ability.
0: Yeah, I want to take you back. When, when you first joined Mac's staff, at what point in time did you realize, you know what, this is going to be special with what he brings with his uniqueness in terms of motivation, his ability to recruit in a different era. At what point did you realize, wow, did we really have something going here?
1: Well, I think it was 89 probably, Drew. It took us a while. You know, we, we lost a lot of coaches and, and, uh, no, we were trying to climb the ladder. And uh, I think just people had to buy into what Mac, what Max vision was and the way he wanted it done. Um, but I think, you know, 89 um, eighty nine and 90, of course, we won it or we tied for it in 90 and 91. From 89 on, you know, I, I think the, the team we had, the players we had were special. And we had done a terrific job of recruiting in 91. And after that, they did a great job of recruiting as well. So. Um, but it, you know that's that's how many years. We started in 80, we started in '82, uh, and yeah. so it was a good seven, eight-year climb. Uh, and I didn't hear that much. Mac wasn't sure he wanted to be in Colorado. You know, uh, I think once he decided that he really wanted to be in Colorado, stay in Colorado, and I think things really changed a little bit for everybody. When he first got there, it was, it was tough going and you know, he was used to winning every game and being in a culture where everybody followed it. and and it's, it's a little tough on a coach to come in and and, and to create his own culture. And that's yeah. I think once that culture got created 89, then it started to take off.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously Rick Neuheisel maintained it. You maintained it when you came back from Northwestern. I never asked you this. Which are you more proud of? The work at Northwestern where, I mean, let's face it, to, to win at Northwestern is a, is a tall order. It's one of the elite academic institutions in the world. And, you know, you, I think you went back-to-back Big Ten titles. You went to the Rose Bowl for the first time since the 30s um, w- with that Northwestern team. Or, or some of the teams you had at Colorado, because people may forget you were on the cusp of perhaps p- playing for a national championship in your tenure in Boulder.
1: Yeah, we were right there um, in 2001. We were pretty close to two. Um, you know, uh, you know, Asking you to pick a team that's your favorite, like asking you to pick your favorite kid, because they're all special to you. Every one of them, every one of those players, in every one of those seasons were special. They all have some personality out of the season. So, so um, yeah, we were real close through in two thousand one. You know, we'd beaten, we'd, we'd uh, really hammered Nebraska, and then the next week turn around and beat third-ranked Texas. And um, Um, we were sitting right there to do it. But, uh, you know, at that time, there was a vote by uh, coaches as to who who goes. And uh, we had stumbled in the opening game against Fresno. And in the end, that cost us. And I knew that it might. But um, we were right there. We were really close. And I'm still really close to everything at Colorado.
0: Yeah, and 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 obviously you came back after you know, and everybody people know the story, and and we're not going to rehash it. But from a from a pure coaching standpoint, because once it's in your blood, Gary, it's in your blood. I mean, a lot of talk about Coach Belichick right now, and and for the first time, in, I don't know, forty eight fifty years, you're going to sit sit on the sidelines. It looks like next year. How long did it take for you to you know move past coaching? and settle into the next chapter if you will
1: um probably four years maybe five years after i was out um you know i uh, i talked to uh, uh, several schools that had an interest um and you know what once you've been to colorado once you've been at northwestern it's really it's really tough to go someplace that's in my mind, not what those two places were, and so um,
0: I was having
1: a ball doing the national radio, and you know that really got me through it. Yeah, you never you never get it out of your system.
0: You know the beautiful thing about it, and I've mentioned this to um, many partners I've had through the years, especially those that have coached, whether it be football or or basketball or managed in baseball. I say, you know what? At the end of the night. You can go to sleep much easier because the the W or the L is it, you want you know you want the team like obviously you want to see the Buffs win. Um, you're broadcasting the Buffs, but it's easier to go to bed when you're a broadcaster as opposed to when you're the coach.
1: It is, but it's still her when you don't win, and it's still you're still uh, on a high when you when you do win. You know, game day. I'm I'm like I was when I was coaching. Every year in November, when Koki woke, it coming up. You know, I, I didn't see it like it was, like the highest. But it never goes away.
0: Yeah. Is, is there, I'm going to ask you, uh, I don't know if it's a wild one, because you're a deep thinker. Is, is Bill McCartney and Deion Sanders, are they very similar or far more similar than maybe people realize?
1: Um, in some ways. They are. Uh, it's a it's a lot easier to like Deion Sanders than it was to necessarily like Phil McCartney. in try uh, Dion Sanders plays to everything that young people want and like now. Uh, w- w- Mac was playing to. Uh, he was going to be their parent. You know, he, and he wasn't going to be their brother. He's going to be their parent, and. He was going to give him what he needed. Coaches, coaches tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Uh, and that's the coaching tree that I came from. Um, Mac always did that. Uh, you know, Dion is doing both. Um, you know, so far he said a lot of things that everybody wants to hear. And I, you know, I know that when he tells a kid that he isn't going to play till he's ready to play, that's the same thing in saying that, you know, um, you know, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. So from that standpoint, yes, um, but but totally different. Like all of us would be completely different uh, in this day and age.
0: Yeah. Have you ever seen a phenomenon like what took place last year? And I know the you know the the final two thirds of the season did not go as as any one wanted it to, especially after the start. But the attention, I mean, at one point in time, Gary, this was the biggest story, not in college football, this was the biggest story in sports for, for about two or three weeks.
1: No question, Drew. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, we won a national championship, and we didn't have anything like that. We didn't have anything before the game, after the game, on national radio, national television, uh, the national media, in all regards. Now, there's a lot more of us now than there was then, but... Uh, no, nothing. You know, we did our show. Pre, we do a two-hour pregame show over uh, outside of the stadium. Um, the first home game, we, we had to get uh, security to get us through the crowd. Uh, you couldn't get through it in order to get in the stadium and do the rest of the show. Um, no, I've never seen anything like it. You know, there were people coming to games to see who was coming to the game. <laughs> the ball had air in it or paper they were coming to see who was coming right uh, it was uh, no i've never seen anything like that. i don't think anybody has. i don't i, I don't think you've seen it in in my lifetime anyway something like that
0: happened. is it sustainable uh, you and i chatted a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago coach is it sustainable if if coach prime's team next year goes 6 and 6 or does the bloom come off the rose and next year it's imperative That Colorado, you know, wins at least eight. So people say, oh, yeah, man, he really does have it going.
1: Um, maybe, um, it just depends on how it happens. Um, you know, you have a bunch of injuries and, and, you know, and you can't finish the season strong or something like that. But, um, you know, is it sustainable? I think that's the big question. Everybody's waiting to watch. And the skeptics, everybody who was skeptical, Skeptical of Gian when he came uh, after going four and eight, they're still skeptical. Those who were all in are still all in. And so, it's you know, like you said, he's he's got to win eight, probably nine games to, to establish himself and be credible, I think, after everything he's done. But no matter what, everything's changed, and it's changed for the better, for the most part, at, from what he's done.
0: I I said this when it happened, and I went up to the press conference, and I had no reason to go up to the press conference, but but it was he he, he has a magnetism, and it's kind of shocking because coach he's more of our generation. I'm thinking 17, 18 year old kids, they didn't watch Deion Sanders play. They don't probably don't even realize he was playing Major League Baseball half the time that he was playing in the NFL. He's of more our generation. And yet, there's something about him, and I know we have all the highlights, et cetera. There's something about him that draws these young folks, you know, to Dion. Have Have you been able to capture that?
1: Well, I haven't captured exactly, but uh, you know, he's 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 um, he's got great people working with him and in, in his media, uh, you, you know, his relationships with the media and with everything he's. He's been, uh, put out there to do and what he's been able to create and the image he has of himself. I mean, he's got really good, good people. And, uh, when we interviewed Dion for this job, I don't think anyone just was as organized or had a structure like he had. And, um, so that was one of the appealing things I think to Rick George, but, uh, you know, he's, he, he's right in the middle everybody all those kids know who he is and he's been out there in the media so much that i don't care if you are young i think you still know who deon Sanders is and if you don't know your parents are going to tell you so he's done a great job of, of making the most of of uh, the life he's lived do
0: you ever imagine as many miles as you put on rental cars and flights you took or you know where i'm going with this around the country recruiting 17 year old kids and sitting in living rooms with moms and dads and and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas that there would be somebody who would be so unconventional Dion does not go on the road Dion does not go to high school coaches is this is this uh a one i mean is is he an outlier or is this where we're headed now in this new world that we live in
1: Oh, he's an outlier. There's only one Dion Sanders, and I, you you may want to act like Dion and look like Dion and talk like Dion, but there's only there's no question he's an outlier. He he's a one-off, and um, I, one of the things that I've I've been able to try to do is just watch and see how he's doing it, see the reactions that he have, because what we used to do and the way we did it was the right way that we. We thought it was the right way. It was the way everybody did it. It's the way it was done. Now he's shattering all that. But that's not to say it's not the right way. And that it's not a good way. So I'm, I'm not very non-judgmental about this, and I'm, I'm eager to learn more and more uh, as I hang around this program as to what can be done, what maybe what should be done.
0: Could you handle today with the portal knowing that? It, once you have a kid, it's not just X's and O's, you, you're concerned about that kid leaving if he has a productive year, or if you get after him a little bit too much, you know, uh, on a on a Wednesday afternoon, that, oh man, that kid may, you know, pack his bags and, and, and jump in the portal. I mean, it's a different deal. It's a different
1: deal. Uh, as I look at it from a distance, I go, boy, that would be really hard. But if I were in it, I would be, figuring it out just like all the guys are in it they didn't just all the guys are in it now they didn't go into it thinking it was going to be this way but they're figuring it out they're figuring out how to work with it you know in some ways um maybe maybe you don't need to climb all over a kid maybe there's a better way to handle him so that for two reasons one it's the better way to handle and two so that you, you don't put him in a position where he wants to leave you and I know there's a lot of skepticism about that approach because uh, the lessons that we all uh, felt like and wanted to say that kids learn from systems like that. But it's a different time. And it, you if you don't change, you're going to be a dinosaur and you know what happens to those guys. So I think it's forcing everybody to change a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, it wouldn't be my choice. But if I were in it, I'd figure it out.
0: Gary, the NIL, and you you know a lot about it because you were running a a collective um, or involved in a collective. And I think everyone now who follows college football or, or college sports at all is aware of name, image, and likeness. But I don't think most, including myself, have a complete grasp of what that means and how money is distributed and... Who else is involved with, you know, a four or potentially five-star athlete?
1: Well, first of all, Drew, everybody's got an agent. Every player's got an agent. And uh, all the negotiations pretty much go through that agent. Now, it could be a dad, could be an uncle, but every one of them have an agent. And so each coaching staff now has a whole group of people who just deal with the agents and just converse with the agents. And um, so especially four- and five-star kids, but even some three-star kids are doing that. And at, once they get into school, then they're getting themselves an agent. If they're a good player, they get themselves an agent. So agents have a lot of leverage right now. Um, the money getting paid is, is, you know, it's a combination of corporate and donor money. Uh, right now it's probably 75% donor and 25% corporate. Uh, monies. But I think in the next three years, it's going to go just the opposite. I think it's going to be 75% corporate, 25% donor. Donor fatigue is already starting to fit in a little bit. But um, no matter what, there's a, there's a population of people say, these, you know, we need to give these kids as much as we can give them because of what they're doing. And then there's another population that just feels like after you have these discussions, you have to go take a shower because it's feel dirty, uh, because all the things you're doing four years ago was dirty and illegal. And, uh, you know, I think about Jim Trussell losing his job because guys traded, uh, clothing for tattoos. And, uh, you, you think, oh my gosh, was that an injustice or what? So it's, it, it's out of control. Nobody has any, there's no rules. Nobody has control of it. Uh, the courts have, are just letting it go. And they're not going to make rules that allow the NCAA or schools even, um, to set the rule. They're letting states set the rule. And so it's, uh, it, it's a wild west crazy. Is it sustainable? I don't think it is at this level and, and I don't think it will be down the road, but. It, this year and probably next year, it's going to be maybe it's the third year. It's going to be crazy like this.
0: Yeah, and and to me, you know, to to make an analogy to the NFL, take the running back position. It's been devalued over time. You know, we grew up watching, you know, the Earl Campbells and the Tony Dorsets and going way back to Gale Sayers, and and they were oftentimes the biggest star on the team, and and they dwarfed the quarterback. Well, now, you know, I, I grew up. I'm a New York guy. I'm, I'm a huge Giant fan. Still, Saquon Barkley. Uh, you know, uniquely talented, but that's not as important a position. Where I'm going with that is, you know, in in college football, does a running back or or does a coaching staff say, you know what, he's only worth X amount of NIL dollars, and you have to have that communicated to him because we got to pay the left tackle, and we got to pay the star wideout, and we got to pay our quarterback. Is that, I mean, is that how it's working? Not quite.
1: I don't think that there's necessarily values assigned yet. There probably will be. Um, it just depends on how valuable you are to the team, and it's not necessarily by position. So it's uh, – uh, you know what, Drew, the other thing is there's some kids that don't even care about NIL. There's kids that, you know, they just want to go to school. They want to play football. They want to enjoy college, and so they don't want to have to mess with this. And you can say some of them, well, maybe they're well off and they don't have – that's not true. It just depends on the character. for the kid. Uh, but they made this stuff available. Agents have jumped in now and have taken advantage of that. And, uh, they're telling you, if you don't get after this now, you never will. You won't get it. You might get hurt. You're going to need this money when when it's done. So it's, um, it's really, it's a little nasty right now. It's not clean. Um, and everybody knows it. And that's why you hear coach after coach. And you see all these coaches leaving college and going to the NFL just because n- there's no control at all.
0: Yeah. And, and again, from a fan standpoint, you want to say, oh, man, what a great year so and so had. And he was only a sophomore, a redshirt, or, you know, a, a sophomore, a redshirt freshman. And you're like, he's going to be around another two or three years. And then you realize that maybe not so fast. He may not be.
1: Yeah, I know exactly. And it, you know, it, it's moving towards the employee's uh, status of uh, revenue sport athletes. It's going that way, and it almost has to go that way. And that's going to bring its own challenges to colleges anyway.
0: Hey, Gary, very quickly, with, with, with a school that's so important to you, and, and you did, uh, you know, you had the, the great run there, two, two great runs. One is an assistant, and then, then obviously is a head coach. Um, can Colorado... In this day and age, one we were just talking about, can they play with the big boys going forward?
1: That, that That's really a good question. Today, that's going to require capital. And it's going to require a culture of that. Uh, we're not there yet. I, I mean, Dion has definitely made some changes in that in that situation. I mean, we've got three or four guys making a lot of money now. I uh, get that. But it's, it's got to be, you know, we, Ohio State's putting $15 million out there uh, for paying the players. Well, that's not Colorado's culture. But uh, in the next couple of years, that might all change. You know, the rules may all change. And so uh, I think that the best chance for us to create a culture where we can play with the big boys, and I think that we're going to have to, in two years, we're going to have to be able to step up and say that we can play with the big boys, which means our recruiting, which means our record which means everything else in our program. That's a good question. We're right on the bubble, in my opinion.
0: Gary, last two, and and this is crystal ball stuff. Is Deion Sanders here for the long haul? You you know, the skeptics will say, well, you know, his two sons are probably headed to the NFL after this year. What is his interest, desire, passion to coach other kids' sons, and obviously he's doing it right now. I mean, he's got a huge football team. He's got more than hundred kids on it. But but is is Dion here in three, four, five years? You know, that's hard to say about any coach. But I, what I do think about Dion is he's extremely competitive,
1: and he doesn't want to leave here a failure. And so uh, I think he he will decide after he succeeds what he's going to do. But he. He will be here till he succeeds. Is what I think.
0: And with that coaching hat that you have, and, and watching it with a unique perspective, a very, very, very—I'll throw three varies in there—early prediction, loose prediction for how the Buffs are in a new conference in its second year with Dion.
1: You know what, Drew? I'm not going to bite on that worm because. Okay. You know what? I haven't seen any of these guys play.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going back to what we were just talking about, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to be better. Uh, but, uh, I haven't seen any guys play. I don't make my predictions since about the third week of August after I've gone to practice every day and s- seen what the chemistry is like and, and, uh, you know, how they're treating each other. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think we'll, we'll, we're going to be better. I can say we're going to be better than we were last year. Uh, but I can't tell
0: you how many. No, that's fair. I mean, that's fair. And it was an unfair question, you know, since we're po- po- post-Valentine's Day to predict, uh, again, with a bunch of new faces again, how a, how a team's going to be when they haven't even had spring practice. Hey, Coach, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great to see you uh, recently, as I said. Um, unfortunately, it was, it was at uh, Zim's uh, funeral but it, it's uh always good to catch up uh continued success in the broadcast booth i really enjoy listening to you i learn a lot and uh look forward to uh, doing it again at some point down the road
1: yeah thanks drew and i i love listening to you and i you know i love the rockies and and so i've always liked it so appreciate it very much
0: okay you got it enjoy the rest of the day gary and, uh, keep scottsdale warm i'm heading down in a few days all right thanks drew well appreciate Coach Barnett for uh, for coming on and um, I enjoyed that uh, conversation immensely and it's gonna be fascinating to see how it unfolds next fall for the buffs. And I'll you know, hold to what we were talking about. I, I really believe that the Colorado has to take you know a large step forward in terms of wins and losses, somewhere in that eight. Or so range, you know, I'm not going to go crazy and say, hey, they're going to go 10 and 2 in the regular season. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But, you know, it can't be 6 and 6. I mean, I hope it's not 6 and 6. Because if you want to keep the momentum going and the mystique going of Deion Sanders, you need tangible evidence that what he's doing, as unorthodox as it is, is actually working. And that can't be six and six going to the who gives a damn bowl game we'll continue on next week we'll delve further into spring training one quick note um sam hilliard who is always intriguing was signed today by the rocker rockies he was uh placed on waivers i believe he he was with baltimore and he was placed on waivers he's 30 he's always been That guy that, you know, you want to be the first guy coming off the bus. He's 6'5", 240 pounds. He's one of the fastest guys in baseball. He has light tower power. Um, And he's had moments in the big leagues. He's had moments with the Rockies. But putting it all together, you know, has been a struggle. And he was in Atlanta. And he was blocked in Atlanta because they're so gifted uh, especially in the outfield that uh, you know he wasn't getting much playing time but he he's another depth piece for Colorado, and I thought it was uh, good to see Sam back. I'm biased as well. I think he's a terrific young man, and uh, so hopefully, uh, you know, there are good things to come for Sam Hilliard and for the Rockies as we uh, as we move closer to the regular season. So we'll do more uh, Rocky stuff in in the coming days. Hope you enjoyed it, everybody. Tell your friends, tell your family, and uh, we'll see you again in seven days. Stay safe, stay well, everybody.